Hello, insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you. Wherever you may be, this is your host, Bruce Ash, broadcasting live, not from the third level of my underground bunker located in California, California, but in the fourth level of my bunker, Coronado, where the men are strong, the men are good-looking, and the parents are absolutely convinced their kids are way above average, welcoming you to another action-packed edition of Inside Track. Eb Wilkinson is back from tracking fish in the Northern Pacific. Happy Woo-hoo! to have him back, Eb. Hey, thanks for tuning in this afternoon. We welcome your calls today on the Wilkinson Wealth Management Live Line. Hey, that's me at 790-2040. And before we get going, uh, let me remind you once again that Inside Track is brought to you by our great supporters, Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call Jamie or Craig at 209 209- one five seven six and jamie if you're listening i need to come down and buy some scrap steel i'm going to learn how to weld and then also eric rudin at essential pest 886-3029 and of course joy and ali at corazon cabinets 488-2266 also supporting inside track is the aforementioned eb wilkinson from wilkinson wealth management call him monday and get hooked up with him at 777 777- 1911. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family run businesses. You can depend upon Eb and I do, so should you. And we have a jam packed lineup for you this afternoon. In just a moment, Tony Piggott for, oh, I'm sorry, Tommy Piggott joins us to discuss the president's disastrous trip to Saudi Arabia and Israel. Mona Gibson with the Amphi School Board candidate will share the latest news from her campaign when we return after the first break. And then we've got Kathleen Wynn, GOP primary candidate in the CD6. She joins us, and the Catalina Foothills School Board team, led by Dr. Bart Pemberton, rounds out today's show. Our first guest today is Tommy Piggott from the RNC War Room. He and Paris Denard uh, and the entire comms team is working like demons, 100-hour-plus weeks, uh, as we head into the midterms. Tom, do we have uh, Tommy on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Hey, Tommy. Uh, I read your daily briefings um, every day, uh, actually several times a day. Uh, the current occupant in the White House traveled to Israel this week and declared America's unshakable support for Israel and that the Democrat Party supports Israel. As an American Jew and a believer in the importance of the U.S. Uh, Israel alliances. The president's endorsement sounds sort of hollow, sort of the show of support. Uh, You may be a little too young for this, but Yankee uh, owner George Steinbrenner used to routinely give his managers the same sort of a uh, vote of confidence before firing them. I thought this was sort of a a weird uh, endorsement, didn't you think? Yeah, I thought so as well. I mean, honestly, I can't, uh, I'm happy he said the words. It's always important to say that we stand by Israel and that America and Israel are close allies, and Israel is our greatest ally in the Middle East. But it is hollow because actions speak louder than words. Uh, for, him to not, 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 for him not to really address the growing anti-Israel wing of the Democratic Party in a really concrete and robust way, I think missed an opportunity. And then on top of that, I think his policies by sending aid to the Palestinians, when you know this week Hamas launched rockets against Israel, Uh, really kind of missed the moment and showed that he's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth at a time where we need a president that's clear and direct, not kind of hypocritical. 
Yeah. Uh, Tommy, the Biden, uh, the president also mused. He said the UK treats Irish like Israel treats the Palestinians. I, I, I honest to goodness, I have I never imagined a United States president saying that comparing the Irish UK troubles uh, to the conflicts and the and and all of the doings in Israel since 1948. What could he be thinking? Uh, it w- was really shocking. I-, I heard him say that, and it's typical of Joe Biden nowadays to try to. Uh, I don't know if he's trying to be relatable. I- I, that's the most charitable, and that's really being super charitable explanation I can give. That he was standing there, he didn't bother to think through what he was saying, but it really was unacceptable for him to make that comparison, for him to really sweep over, oversimplify, and ignore major elements of history. And unfortunately, those comments instantly were picked up by the worst actors in the Middle East. We saw some of the most extreme anti-Israel and, frankly, anti-Semitic elements amplifying those comments from Joe Biden to attack Israel. He shouldn't have said it. He should have known better, but he did in a really sensitive area while he was in the West Bank. So I think he, he really owns those words he needs to take responsibility for them. His team should have backtracked them instantly. They still haven't. It was really unacceptable rhetoric from the president of the United States. Yeah. Bidenflation is at a 45-year high. Consumer prices up even more. Um, fuel prices at all-time historic highs. After the president's fist bump greeting the crown prince, whose country he once declared as a pariah nation, he then begged him for more oil, for more oil, and after claiming to get more oil from the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman declared the Saudis were already pumping oil at full capacity. What 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 wavelength is the president on? I mean, it's like they were having two different conversations. It appears. It really was. This was after uh, the president of France, Macron, warned to President Biden that the Saudis really couldn't actually increase oil production, and apparently. Biden and his team just completely ignored that French warning. It turns out the French were right on this one. It shows how tone deaf he is. I think newsflash for this president, America is an oil-producing country. He needs to travel to North Dakota, to Texas, to Alaska, meet with American energy producers. Don't travel 7,000 miles to beg the Saudis for more oil. And I think in my mind, that fist bump with the Saudi crown prince is going to be emblematic. It's going to be the image that resonates from this trip. Because while he's fist-bumping the Saudis, he's attacking American workers. I, I have in this image in my mind during the campaign when he went to Detroit and stuck his finger in the hand of a worker who was opposing his radical agenda, really right. yelling at this worker. And I think that's the distinction. He's attacking American workers. He's yelling. He's attacking. He's destroying the livelihood of American workers while empowering people like Saudi Arabia. And so I think it's a real disconnect between what he should be doing and what he's actually doing. Tommy, um, there was a there was a piece. I think it was in either the Washington Times or the New York uh, Post this this uh, prior week, and they they were comparing um, uh, Biden not to Obama because Obama actually had a plan. They were comparing him to Jimmy Carter because they just seemed to be totally befuddled as to what to do. Isn't look what kind of pain do we think? Uh, the Democrat Party may have in the midterms. How how does all of this uh, end up, uh, you know, as it relates to the election in November, do you think? Well, I think, first of all, when you have Jimmy Carter and his administration, economists from that administration calling out Biden on inflation, you know you're doing badly. I mean, you can't really do worse. 
than Jimmy Carter. At this point, comparing Joe Biden to Jimmy Carter is an insult to Jimmy Carter because he's just doing way worse than even Jimmy Carter did. And Jimmy Carter was a terrible president. I think it's going to translate into real pain for the Democratic Party, because what's more important is that the American people are feeling pain. They're feeling pain at the pump. They're feeling pain when they go to grocery stores. They're seeing a weak and ineffective leader on the world stage this week. I think it's going to translate into massive victories for the Republican Party, but only if the Republican Party puts in the work. I know at the RNC, like you mentioned, we're working 24-7. We're never stopping, registering voters like crazy, getting the message out there. Because we know Democrats are going to lie and, frankly, smear their way into uh, trying to smear their way into another victory. But I think we have to hold them accountable. We have to explain to people why Republican policies work. We have to show how Biden's wasting $1 trillion of our money led to inflation. And if we do that, we show that contrast between Republicans and Democrats, I think we're going to have a historic victory in November. Yep. Yeah, hey, uh, Tommy, one quick thing before we uh, leave. Uh, does, uh, how is the registration going right now for Republicans? Well, it's going really well. Uh, uh, thanks to our chair, Ronna McDaniel, we're having a historic, unprecedented investment across the country in areas, frankly, maybe Republicans weren't as uh, invested heavily in the past. We have community centers across the country that, uh, you know, in areas where our traditionally Democratic voters that Democrats have taken for advantage, advantage of. And we're seeing historic gains in Florida, in Kentucky, in North Carolina, in Georgia, in areas of California. For the first time ever in Florida, there are more Republicans than Democrats registered to vote. We're seeing that across the country. We're registering people at gas stations as they're feeling the pain at the pump, and we're really seeing a huge response from that. So we're putting in the work thanks to our amazing grassroots volunteers. I'm confident we're going to keep that going, and we're going to have real victories in November. And one more question before we go. How about the Hispanic community? Well, we're seeing a major movement towards the Republican Party. We've seen several special elections in Texas, for example, that show that the first Republican victory in the Rio Grande Valley in, in something like 100 years or the first at least flip from a Democrat seat to a Republican. Because Hispanic Americans don't like it when they're compared to tacos by Jill Biden. They don't like the oh my God. They don't, you know, it's just like one thing after another yeah. from this administration. Yeah. And so the Hispanic community is really moving towards us. Hey, Tommy Pickett, thank you so much. We've got to run. Uh, appreciate it. We want you on again. Uh, Mr. Producer, let's take our first break. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Mona Gibson, Amphi School Board candidate. Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing. And then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house. We sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? 
None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. Instead of an activity where every kid gets a trophy, those who graduate from Wright Flight get to fly a plane. But only if they get good grades, are well-behaved, and pass a written test. I'm Robin Stoddard, an ex-fighter pilot. I founded Wright Flight because I knew it could help kids reach new heights in their schools, homes, and communities. Endorsed by educators at every level, nonprofit Wright Flight has changed thousands of lives since 1986. Learn more at rightflight.org. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Act Inside Track, our guest for the next few minutes is our friend Mona Gibson, who's running for Amphi School Board, along with her running mate, Jeff Uch. Uh, you've been working very hard, uh, Mona. Thanks for joining us. Big news. You submitted your verified petition signatures. Uh, you have more than enough signatures to qualify for the ballot, don't you? Yes, I do. I do. Uh... Uh, collected almost 600 signatures, uh, over 550 on my own, and submitted 574 after I cleaned out those folks who don't live in the Amphi School District. Um, yes, so I am now an official candidate. Oh, boy, that's great. Uh, you and Jeff are going to make a formidable uh, team in this election uh, because that Amphi uh, School District is completely out of touch. We're going to talk with the Catalina Foothill School uh, Board uh, um running team, uh, Mark Pemberton, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Jason, and uh, and Bill uh, Morgan later in the show today. Uh, boy, just a, a, a fabulous thing that you all are doing. What do you hear from parents about the universal ESAs just passed by the legislature and signed by Governor Ducey? And what's your view on these ESAs? Well, most people that I've talked to believe in school choice. And it's not just, you know, the rich people can go anywhere they want, but the ESAs level the playing field. So anybody who, you know, has is going to a school that they don't like can choose to go to a different school, which is real important, and not to be within the public instruction. So it, it's kind of like the money the money follows the kids. So if I go to Fry's every weekend, the money from the state is going to me. And now I get to choose if I want to go to Fry's or Safeway or Walmart instead of the money now just going to Fry's and I'm stuck going there. Um, so I think it's a wonderful thing because it forces um, the school district to be competitive. And the more competition you have, the better off you are because that instills excellence in the schools. And we now, as a public instruction, as a public school district, not just have to focus on how much money we're getting from the state and all the various funds that we receive the money from, but how are we using the funds? And are we truly an excellent and can we promote that excellence and compete with the charter schools and the private schools? 
So I think it's overall a good thing, and I've been hearing that from the folks that I've talked with. Ab? Yeah, Mona, about the ESAs, not all of the money follows the student, though. Well, it costs 10000 or more for the child, so it's $6,500 that's going, that follows the child. So, so it, 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 it's, in a it, lot of respects, that's a good amount of money. Yeah, and, and it, it is enough to let the school that they're leaving go, oh, crap, we screwed up. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And Amphi School District has lost kids um, from year to year in the past few years. Uh, so enrollments have been decreasing. So they are constantly looking at the budget, trying to figure out um, or at least they should be, and that's why yeah. I want to get on the board, because I feel that what they need to do is look at what is uh, what programs are that they are doing well that needs to um, be continued, and maybe some places where they're spending the money that it's not necessary, where they need to refocus the monies that they are receiving, even if it is a dwindling amount from the state, to say, how can we make excellent schools? And along with that, with COVID rates spiking uh, here and there, what are the chances Amphi board and superintendent will try to force mask mandates again on the kids? Um, I don't know. Um, last time it wasn't anything, the, the mask mandate wasn't anything that the board voted on. They essentially delegated their responsibility or their decision-making to the superintendent, superintendent being in charge of operations of schools. And it was the superintendent who took the CDC public health, we're going to mask everybody until they tell us otherwise. And um, I and, and many, many others uh, felt that that was uh, incorrect. They've since lifted the mask mandate, but it's amazing how many kids still, students still wear masks. Um, and then they also have um, an interesting quarantine uh, in uh, discrimination to me, uh, it seems, for those who are vaxxed versus unvaxxed. If you're a kid who gets sick and you're not vaccinated, you have to stay home. You're quarantined, whereas if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to stay home. Which, of course, violates HIPAA if you're asking the kids about their medical conditions. Basically, yeah. So Exactly. Yeah, so, hey, what are your concerns Mm -hmm. related to how far behind the Amphi students might be after the two years of lockdowns? You know, mandates um, and, you know, remote learning and how far behind the MFI students are in key areas like math and science and reading, as well as what this means for the future of those kids. I'm concerned about um, all the kids in the school district, not just those who are, you know, in the Oro Valley area, but the kids throughout the entire Amphi school district. This past week, the at board meeting, there was a presentation about their summer school program, and uh, they used almost a million dollars of the COVID money, or they call the ESSER funds, that they've received. And it seemed like a wonderful program. And they had 2,500 students attend, which is a thousand more than... Um, last year. And these kids, you know, it really helped them either to catch up or to get ahead. And the program sounded excellent. My concern is that that was only 2,500 of almost 12,000 kids and who access this summer program. So my concern is what's happening with the other kids? And if they're behind, how far behind are they? And are they going to ever catch up? And what is the school district doing? I, I know that they can do just so much, but there's almost 9,000 kids who did not attend this summer 
school program. Wow. Um, you know, what assessments can we do? What what needs to be done? What outreach needs to be taken? You know, how are they going to address uh, the the shortfall of the education? And there's always, you know, that so-called summer loss of learning. You know, you kids know everything and then they go out and go swimming and go running around in the backyard and forget everything that they've learned for the past five years, you know, so you have to start fresh. But other than that, they still lost a lot. And how are they going to recoup all that time lost? Uh, I really haven't seen a plan. Um, They have some programs and some things, but the school program is, the summer school program was to me um, in, in one respect, very good. And, and, uh, did a lot for the kids who attended, but to me it was kind of a shortfall because everyone needed to um, be addressed and make sure that they're catching up, if not exceeding, excelling during the summer. Hey, Mona, it's it's Bruce again. Just just one second, Ab. I just want to do a quick follow-up on on what Ab asked about how far kids are behind. Uh, You know, it occurs Mm -hmm. to me, Mona, that um, there are significant parts of, of the school population in the Amphi uh, district where kids lived in, you know, fairly low economic sort of uh, uh, strata. Um, many don't have access to, uh, to internet. Um, and we don't know how those children um, are going to fare going forward. Um, you and Jeff, you're very strong willed. Uh, and I think you're, you're forward, th- forward thinkers. If you are elected to the school board, and gosh, I think parents in that district ought to vote for you both um, because you do represent change. What would your and Jeff's plan be to help uh, get those kids who really might have fared far worse than kids up in Oro Valley, you know, going to CDO and, and, and the other schools in that in that per- particular region of the district. What are you going to do for the kids that live, you know, along Fort Lowell, Flowing Wells, south of River Road, uh, who, who live many times in, in bad economic circumstances to begin with, and parents who don't, you know, maybe care as much as, as the Oro Valley parents in some cases. What can you two do to, to influence how to get those other kids caught up? Yeah. Uh, you know, education is sometimes a cultural thing, and it goes across cultures. It goes to, um, you know, parents who really want their kids to succeed in life. And sometimes people don't recognize how important learning how to read or basic math skills is. So I think that's training for all, you know, all of our groups, despite the socioeconomic levels. Um, for me, how I would go about it, to me... Um, I mean, I guess being an old human resources junkie uh, geek here is that I would go straight to the budget and look to see where is our money being spent and where does it need to go to enforce, uh, to encourage folks to make sure that they're accessing the learning that's available and to reach out to the kids who've been lost over the past few years because maybe they didn't have internet access or they were just bored to tears because they didn't want to be on the computer learning instead of um, being engaged. Um, and another thing goes to um, leadership. You know, teachers are generally great, you know, and, and there's always some who are not focused um, and may need additional 
training or assistance. And it really comes down to the leadership in each one of those schools. So it's the principal who provides the leadership to ensure that every teacher is teaching to the best of his or her ability. And they are the ones who are encouraging, instilling that will, that interest in, in learning and not taking them down a notch and saying, well, you know, I, I haven't seen you in five weeks and oh, well, you know, or whatever. You know, they need to make sure that the, the principals are providing leadership to and encouraging the teachers to to teach. Um, I've met with many teachers who are absolutely phenomenal, and I, it's nothing I could ever do. I'm not a teacher by any means, so I recognize, you know, wonderful people when I see them. Um, but there just needs to be this real focus on every single child, uh, making sure that they have that love of learning from kindergarten through uh, graduation of high school. And it's not something easy to do, but it's a way of teaching that needs to be encouraged. And Mona, I got to tell you, in a weird way, it seems like the uh, pandemic and the remote learning has really helped parents understand just what was being taught and what wasn't being taught in the schools. And, you know, allowing people like you and uh, Jeff Uch to say, screw this, I'm going to run because I want to change this. Would you have thought about running if this never had happened? Uh, the remote learning was part of it. I, I think what got me into this was the mask mandates and knowing how wrong that was for this group of our population, which are, you know, little human beings under the age of 18 that have shown virtually no risk to having COVID to being the most restricted and not being able to go to school or to have to wear masks, which inhibits not only their ability to breathe, but inhibits their ability to learn, you know, because so much of learning is through facial recognition and, you know, reading people's lips and stuff like that. So there's been such a detriment uh, to the schools because of the mask mandates, which is just a symptom of what was going on. So once I started going to the school board meetings and watching to what was going on and then seeing how the parents that were there were just being so dismissed and no one was take, being taken seriously. I even had a, uh, a petition that I had 162 people from just a couple of um, football games that I went to to sign this petition to, you know, stop the mask mandate. And, you know, they just dismissed it. They, no one ever addressed it. I never got any notification, acknowledgement that they even received it, other than just a nod when I turned it in. So, you know, the parents' frustration was so evident when um, you go to the board meetings and see them. And, you know, it was also really sad. There were some students who would come up ages, I don't know, maybe 12. There was others who were teenagers who would say, look, I can't wear a mask all day, every day. I get headaches. And if I complain about it, then I'm sent home and then I can't catch up. And it was just so sad to see these kids just wanting to learn and being held back because of the inability to wear a mask. So, um, you know, I may not have been seeing the difficulty they had with the remote learning, but the um, just the attitude of the district towards the students and, and the parents. Was, was something that just motivated me to say, I got to step up, I got to do something. 
Hey, and thank- I'm retired, so I can represent a lot of these people. Well, now. Mona, we're run out of time. Thanks for joining us. How do yeah. people get a hold of you, and what's your website? My website is Mona for Amphi. That's for F O R Mona for Amphi dot com, and I have an email as well as phone number on there. So please contact me. There's also a donate button if anybody wishes, because uh, we need to get as many yard signs out there uh, to make sure that people see our name. Perfect. Hey, Mr. Producer. Thanks, uh, Mona, thanks for joining us. Mr. Producer, let's take that bottom of the hour break right now. And when we return, GOP primary candidate for Congress in CD6, Kathleen Wynn, will be joining us. You're listening to Inside Track. Bruce and I will be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing metal plate and roofing materials as well as new and used steel aluminum and stainless steel to ranchers artists interior designers roofers and do-it-yourselfers just like all the listeners here tucson iron and metal retail is open monday through fridays 8 a.m to 4 30 p.m and saturdays 8 a.m to noon tucson iron and steel retail 701 east 36th street Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here. Eb is back from his fishing expedition. Eb, how did the fishing gods treat you? The fishing trip was great. The fishing had a little bit more to be desired. We, uh, I came back with about a Ziploc bag full of fish, but that's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> well, next time, buddy. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, we're, we, we, you and I are already talking about the next fishing trip, so that, Ab- that'll be great. Is okay, Ka- Kathleen. Kathleen Wynn joins us. Kathleen is a is a GOP candidate, primary candidate for Congress in CD six. Welcome back, Kathleen. Is Kathleen there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, thank God! Yeah, it worked. Yeah, we can hear you now. We can hear you now. Okay, Our good. East German thank equipment good. finally works. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> Kathleen. Kathleen, the president just completed a disastrously failed trip to Saudi Arabia, begging for more oil from the country he once called a pariah state. And Crown Prince MBS basically told him to go pound sand. Uh, fuel price, um, uh, maybe maybe they haven't increased uh, 20 cents a day uh, like they had been before right now, but fuel costs still double where they were the day before Joe Biden took his oath to defend the country. 
and he reversed nearly every energy uh, policy from the Trump administration. If you succeed in your primary election, if you win the general election, what can you do to help reduce the cost of fuel and energy costs and reduce Bidenflation? Well, I think we have to put extreme pressure on this president, and hopefully we take the seats back that that we are hoping to. Um, We have four more to go to control the Congress. I'm hoping we take back 50. But we really need to go back to being energy independent. We have all the resources in our country to do that. The fact that we're getting oil from anywhere else in the world um, is counterintuitive. It's not good business. There's so many things that we can do to, to just restore uh, what I'm going to call the Trump policies for energy uh, and, and, and bring down gas prices. It's crushing middle America. I have people trying to decide between food and fuel, and no one should be put in the position. This is inflation, all of it. Um, and in my district, I've driven just under 20,000 miles in the last three months. So I am feeling the pain at the pump with everybody else. Yeah, Kathleen, this morning we learned that the U.S. Border Patrol reportedly processed 191,898 migrants along the southern border in June. This previous record for June was reported last year when it was uh, 178,649 arrests. This is huge. Your likely opponent in the general election said publicly she does not believe there's a border crisis. You're an expert on human smuggling. How do we end this? Well, we need to shut the border down, just completely shut it down uh, and take stock of who's in our country. Um, My concern is that we've had a large group of young males, uh, ages, I think, 18 to 35, coming into the country. Uh, We have, uh, since Biden's taken over in Arizona, the number of missing children has doubled. So we've gone from 800 missing children black, brown, white, to 1,600, uh, 5,000 missing Native mothers, or women, and children. So there's other unintended consequences of things that are happening at the border. For her to say that it's just irresponsible and it's, it, it's, it's fantasy. Uh, we clearly have a problem. Uh, we're being invaded, and we have no idea who's in our country. And I think we're up to like almost 3 million people here that we're not quite sure who's here. Um, and that's irresponsible. And I hope she continues to say things like that because, quite frankly, she doesn't. She's out of touch with what's happening. Well, that ad should be running during the general campaign. Listen, ten thousand <laughs> times. Yeah, when 10, you're times. exactly when you're out and about. What are the non-Republicans saying about the border and the economic crisis created by Brandon? <laughs> um. What the other, you know, what the other side says is that Joe Biden's doing a great job. Now they must be part of that fifteen oh, percent of the the Democrat Party that thinks that he's doing a great job. But but you're talking about the Democrats, right? You're not talking about people in our party. I'm talking about the non-Republicans. Yeah. Oh, the non-Republicans, depending on what news source they watch, um, you know, other than falling off his bicycle, many of them. Sit, stick up for Joe Biden's policies. I don't know the big bump that they got or the, the, uh, like an issue that they could get behind was the Roe versus Wade decision. And that gave them something to talk about. But I don't think they have any good policies. I don't know how you defend this president, and I don't know how you defend what he's doing. Um, I, I'm 
I think that everything that is happening is completely against America. It's it, it's treasonous and it's against the Constitution. So I don't know where you stand to say that that's a good thing. And, I, and I'm confident in a general election we can beat them. And I'd like to be the candidate to, to be the one speaking on behalf of our party. I don't even know how they can come close to saying he's doing a good job unless it's followed up with by destroying the country. Well, if you have a globalist point of view, if you have a point of view that that you're always a victim and that you are the solution to every problem, this party, their party, wants to grow government. Look how much money they've spent. Look how much money they've given away. We need to shrink government. I'd like to abolish the Department of Education, or also known as the Department of Indoctrination, we need to start to shrink our government and put the power back into the people's hands. The seat I'm running for is the people's seat. It's not any special interest seat. It's not um, the Democrat seat. It's our seat. It's the people's seat. And we need to give that back. And we need to start to put as much power back into the states. That's the way the Constitution and the government was designed. Bruce has his hands raised. Bruce? Um, One of your competitors has raised a ton of money and has a plethora of endorsements. What does your fundraising look like, and when are you going to be uh, on TV and radio? I've been on TV. I have not been on radio except to be interviewed, and and so I, I have gotten a lot. I've been on media more than any of my other opponents, on national TV, on local TV, on radio, uh, in terms of being interviewed as a candidate. Um, but I have been outraged. That's the honest-to-God truth. Um, but in recent polls, we're not that far apart. So although um, there's a lot more money on on the other side, you have to be effective with what you get. Um, big signs will not just do it for the election. So you have to uh, be competitive all the way around. The other thing is I've also gotten a lot of endorsements. The Freedom Caucus is stepping up behind me. So this is this is turning out to be a race between um, the Donald Trump team and the Doug Ducey team. And I'm on the conservative side of that equation. I'm endorsed by Paul Gosar and Freedom Caucus, the right women, which are the wives of the Freedom Caucus. Dave Bossy endorsed me yesterday, Citizens United. Uh, yeah, Azra. yeah, he's wonderful. And... Uh, law enforcement. So I, I am very proud. Uh, Carrie Lake, a couple of days ago, I, I am very proud of the endorsements I've gotten. Um, and I, and I will say to you that that um, it's it's not over till it's over. And I, there's there's a there's still about two and a half weeks left to go. And I'm encouraged by the momentum that our campaign has. I'm also encouraged by the number of people that have reached out to me in the last week to see what they can do to help the campaign. So, um, as they, and the other thing that's interesting is that the number of ballots being turned in, Bruce is at an all time low. Um, so that's, that's something else to consider. Uh, the, it, all right. So, so, so the obvious question, helps. the obvious question, Kathleen, is how do our listeners help your campaign by either volunteering or sending you dough to support your media buyers? They need to send money to winforcongress.com. If they just go online, you can. there's a donate button, uh, winforcongress.com. I would love that. Um, and I, I was on TV until yesterday, so I have been on TV, and, and we did see the impact of that. 
uh, we'd like to stay up there. The other thing that they can do is if they want to volunteer, go. There's also a place on that site, winforcongress.com, W-I-N-N, uh, and they can uh, sign up to volunteer. Eb has a real quick question for you before we wrap up. Yeah, hey, you passed okay. the test about the stated purpose of government with flying colors. Bruce and I have got a new question for you for all of our Republican primary candidate, uh, candidates at this stage of the campaign. If you're not successful in the primary, will you actively work on behalf of our party's nominee? I will do whatever it takes to make sure that this seat is Republican, that we support Republican candidates. And I said that going into this race, and I never uh, go back on my word. So I will stand and make sure that we get Republicans elected up and down uh, the ballot. Great. Thank you. Bruce. Thanks, Kathleen. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, Hey, listeners, our guests for the rest of the show today are the Catalina Foothills team running for school board, Pemberton, Jason, and Morgan. Um, Hey, uh, I'm not sure who's on the line for us right now, but welcome to the Catalina Foothills team. Um, You're all candidates for the governing board. This is a serious election. The district is asking for another override. The current government, uh, the current governing board has been around way too long, in my estimation. They have not been receptive to parents' concerns, and the students and their families have been hurt by mandates and lockdowns. Um, if Bart Pemberton, Dr. Bart, is on the uh, line, how responsive has the current board been to parents and students, doctor? Well, thanks, Bruce, for having us. Uh, the the short answer is they haven't been very responsive at all. In fact, they've been um, in many ways dismissive and they just, they haven't wanted to listen. They've been, their attitude has been, we know what's best and uh, the rest of you don't know what you're talking about. You must listen to us or else. That's been their, that's been their philosophy. Wow, Doctor Doctor Jason, do you, do you share the same or a similar uh, uh, view? I don't know Dr. that we have Jason him on the phone. Us? No, Tom's shaking his head. We do have Bill Morgan on the line. Well, Bill, uh, I'll 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 turn the question to you. Uh, how responsive do you think the current board's been? What's been your gripe with the current board? What caused you to run in this election? This is the first time we've had a chance to talk with you. So I just picked up Dr. Jason. That's who you're addressing, correct? <laughs> yeah, it's we got we got kind of we got kind of a, an interesting setup on the phone. Here. So, Dr. Jason, uh, we'll we'll just repeat that question: How responsive has the board been, and and uh, you know, is this why you're running for board in Catalina Foothills yes. School District? You know, I think it's time to really have a bit of a change, so we can really get in there and take care of our students and uh, educate them um, and protect them uh, from all of the uh, things that have been occurring, which basically have put them in a very difficult, and the parents in a very difficult position, because um, I don't think that um, the board has been as transparent, and I don't think they've been as assertive or have really done their due diligence with regard to everything that affects children's health and um, their behavioral uh, well-being. And I think there's a lot of pressure from outside source to, you know, 
not focused on education as much as they're focusing on other issues that, you know, have to do with uh, what they call equity, et cetera. So I'm really about promoting education and not politics. We need to take the politics out of our education system here. Bill Morgan, this, as I said before, this is your first time on Inside Track. Give us a brief background on yourself and the, the primary reason you're running for Catalina Foothills School District Governing Board. You bet. Um, I've worked about 30 years in healthcare, uh, director of large corporation facilities, um, served on many boards, actually been president of boards. Um, and that's kind of what brought me around working with this school board as I watched and listened when they were on uh, computer versus live meetings and on a Zoom call. It just it felt like they weren't operating as a governing board. They were more of an advisory board. So they they didn't really, I didn't feel like they did the job. They never discussed issues in front of the public, which by law they can't meet other than public. And it just seemed like the school superintendent was running the board versus the board running the system. So that's kind of what got me involved. Then I started really digging into it, and I think you're seeing a gradual decline in the effectiveness of education across the United States, but especially here in Tucson. Uh, Catalina Foothills used to be one of the top one or two schools in the, the county, and now we're 12th or 13th. We're like 30th and 40th in the state. You know, it's they focused away from education, and we need to get back to that. And if I have a second, I'd also like to talk about the bond you mentioned. That's a $38.5 million bond that they're proposing, plus a $28.7 million override for maintenance and operations to extend that that's already in place and also to extend a $14 million administrative override levy for the next seven years with that. And part of that comes they want to build new classrooms. And I I just don't think people are aware of the fact that there's 5,400 students in our school district, and 3,100-plus of those are open enrollment. So they they come to our school district from other districts because – we have available space. So I just kind of wonder why we're going to spend 20 to $30 million on new classroom space when we're taking in students from other districts. I don't think it's fair to the taxpayers. And who gets those contracts? Hey, uh, it's a, a question for all of you. Universal ESAs have been approved by the legislature and signed by Governor Ducey. What impact, if any, do you think the Universal ESAs will have on your district, let's start with Dr. Pemberton. Thanks, thanks, Eb. Uh, I think they'll have, in the long run, they're going to have a positive effect. And the reason why I think that is that competition is a good thing. And if people know that they can use their money at virtually any school, as long as it's a legitimate, real school, they're going to go to the what they consider to be the best school. So. The, it's going to force the schools to be responsive to the demands or needs of the parents and their children. And so I think in the end, it can't help but be good. And uh, Morgan, William Morgan. Yes, you bet. I, 
I, I agree with Bart 100%. It's going to be very helpful to make the classrooms really <clears throat> more effective in what they do. We've got to be competitive. We've got to gear up. And Dr. Jason? Yeah, so I agree also, and I also think, you know, um, so now here in the foothills, um, we have a situation where a lot of our parents can afford to take their children out of public school and go to private school. So now that there is going to be school choice financially in that regard, it will force our, I think, our schools to, you know, or it should, to really ramp up in terms of education. And um, so I'm hopeful that it's going to be helpful because, you know, uh, you know, if you can, you can afford to pull your kid out of school, but we have a district here that, you know, we shouldn't be having that. What we should have is, you know, a really, really excellent public school system. Who do you so yeah, the, yeah, Bruce piping in for just a second because I think I think doc, I think Dr. Jason is on to something and I think Bart and Bill have, have kind of concurred in, in their own special way. Um, there there are people in this district who if they had to put in another say six or seven thousand dollars of their own dough and they have the ability to do it uh, and they have these ESAs to help them get into the Gregory School or Castle Hill or other uh, private schools that will certainly uh, probably pop up uh, given the situation in Catalina Foothills there's going to be people leaving the district and going to these private schools don't you think Absolutely. Yes, I think that's I, already happening. Yes, I, it, it's unquestionable that, that that will happen if the priority of the board is politics instead of high-quality education. So let's talk about that. Uh, Dr. Pemberton, what one thing do you want to see accomplished if you're elected? I want to see... I want the priority to be the best education possible for the most number of kids possible. And without all of the politics that has been just not, not just seeping, but inundating everything throughout the district. Well, give me an example. Well, there, uh, the most recent example was the last two years of, uh, basically bullying parents and kids into wearing masks, not letting them on camp, not letting parents on campus, not having in-person board meetings, you know, not letting them in. And, and basically for the transparent reason, if they didn't want to get the criticism, they, wa they wanted to limit uh, who was attending these, these meetings. And it was very effective. I mean, they basically didn't have an in-person meeting for eight or nine months last year. So, uh, so that needs to end. I mean, and, and it has ended now. I mean, they they are they are having in person meetings, but they basically didn't have to put up with hearing from people they didn't want to hear from. And now they do for all those months. And now they do. And so, we're well, but even hey, Bart, Bart, just real quick, uh, yes. 
So one of the things we're seeing in Tucson Unified School District and also the Pima County Board of Supervisors, they're actually controlling uh, the number of minutes. It used to be three minutes in some cases, in most of these cases. Now they're reducing that down and they are very controlling when there's actually an issue that's that's before the board. This is part of that that lack of, uh, you know, ability or lack of willingness to take uh, advice from parents. That That is so important. I, I think all three of you are running uh, because of that, right? Oh, most definitely. That's why this bill. Most definitely. Can I speak to that go for ahead, a Bill. second? Yeah, uh, go ahead, I, Will. I, Bill. I agree with, with what you're saying 100%. The, the board needs to take a look at maybe extending that from three to five minutes to give people time to speak. But if you've ever watched the board, they don't even pay attention. They don't take notes. They don't contact back with those people after the board meeting or anything. They, according to the rules, they can't sit and debate with those open comments unless an item is on the agenda. They can't really discuss it in full. But the committee, uh, the chair of the committee, controls what's on that agenda. So if there's a hot-button item they don't want to talk about, it just doesn't get on the agenda. So they don't have to talk about it, and then they just let the people speak their mind, and they pay no attention to it. Yeah, we're down to the last 45 seconds of the show. We're always fighting the clock. Thanks for uh, joining us, Dr. Penderton and Jason and William Morgan, for joining us today. Once again, what's the best way to learn about your team? So, um, anyway, we each have um, a um, we've got thirty seconds email address. So, mine, for example, is Jason J A S I N for C F S D at gmail dot com, and uh, we are building a website as we speak. So, we'd have to uh, if someone were to uh, email me, I can provide that information hey, as well. We're up against the clock. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Until next time, when we have another great show, this is Eb Wilkinson. And Bruce Ash. Thanks for listening today. We'll see you again in 167 hours. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our Tucson? biggest customers are actually like ranchers and yeah. people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is A, we sell scrap to the mill. So uh, we have a relationship there and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back. And so we save on freight and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. 